Welcome to Behind the Spotlight, a different kind of podcast where we have real, deep conversations with entrepreneurs and celebrity visionaries who are making their potential possible. They are certainly ahead of their time and worthy of yours. So listen as I take your favorite entrepreneurs off a pedestal and onto a bar stool right next to you. In life, it all comes down to building powerful, long-lasting relationships in a thoughtful, authentic way. You know, we all see that highlight reel of successful entrepreneurs, but I want to take you behind the spotlight and show you who they were before they figured it all out. Let's explore the sometimes torturous, but always interesting paths their lives have taken. So I'm Beth, speaker, author, entrepreneur, and a magnetic business mentor. I help entrepreneurs to strategically prepare their business and gain exposure through collaboration and media so they can make their mark on the world. I'm a huge believer in the power of potential to catapult your life forward. So join me as we explore stories of some of our favorite people leveraging their past to make their potential possible on Behind the Spotlight. In today's episode, I speak with Michael Robison, a former senior pastor and faith leader and recently named one of the top leaders of 2020 by Yahoo Finance. He has a really unique journey of faith and life. You know, he spent nearly 20 years building his family through adoption and adventures with his wife, Allison. But internally, Michael was wrestling with the truth. What truth? That he was gay. He built a life trying to best conform to his faith, his belief systems, and his traditional Southern values. Listen to hear Michael take us behind the spotlight and how his truth came to light, navigating family and relationships after coming out. Well, it's it's interesting. So last night at, at my son's football game, for instance, and I, I you know, I, I pay attention to this. I've got some good friends that, you know, growing up here in this town for the most part, and like they, you know, you reach that middle age, and I think, you know, a lot of couples go through, they're either going to stay married or this is when they, you know, separate, and for whatever their various reasons are. And so there were two, two or three two or three other couples there last night who decided to separate and, you know, they've got other spouses or whatever. And some of it was on good terms, most of it not, um, you know, unfortunately when relationships break down and it was interesting because I, I kind of take that inventory when I show up because our kids have all kind of grown up together. They know each other. And so, you know, you walk into the stadium and like you see, you know, him sitting there with his new wife and her sitting there with her new oh, with you. Mm-hmm. spouse. And, you know, you kind of inventory and you realize like they're not interacting. Like there's no, they got no, unless they have to, they're not going mm-hmm. to interact with each other. But then like, you know, you contrast that, the fact that like Cameron and I got to the game ahead of time. Allison gets there, she comes in and she sits down next to Cameron and the three of us are just having a good time, you know, laughing and carrying on Right for the and kids. I, and what well, it's not even that like we really genuinely Allison and I right. just, have always been best friends so like that you know yes there were tensions and yes there were I mean there were some horrible moments along the way in the journey like there's a lot of grace and love that I got in this journey that I didn't deserve that shows just her character and, and mm-hmm. who she is so you know I can never say enough about the kind of person that she is but you know to, to be in that that space but I think you know, for a lot of people, especially here in the South and being in a conservative part of the country as a whole, mm-hmm. like my story's weird enough, but I think people have a bigger struggle with the fact that we just all get along. Like, I think it's harder mm-hmm. for them to deal with that than to deal with the fact that like my, my kids, friends, parents, like they have had, I think, less struggle figuring out that I'm out of the closet and I have a husband versus 
the struggle they have that Allison and I totally get along. Because they can understand you loving somebody else, but you still, lo- Allison's still loving you after you had, after you made that change in your, in your yeah. relationship. That's what I think that's the part they don't understand. My husband, I married 20 years this summer yeah. and I'm keeping him just to let everybody know. That's good. I love it. <laughs> I still think he's, I, I my, uh, the byline I always say is like, he's still cute. So I'm going to keep him for now. There you go. But, but we have friends who, you know, the, the hurt's different. Maybe the hurt's just different for her. Like she understands yeah. that you need, that you deserve to be happy and the kids deserve to have happy parents rather does. than I, staying in. It, it's a, you know, our, our story, like you peel the onion and everybody's story when you peel the onion, right? Yeah. It, it's this like, you know, I don't, we've all got these crazy things that I, I was telling uh, Tristan yesterday, Tristan and I recorded together yesterday and um, I was telling him, I was like, it's always crazy because when Alice and I were married, people would ask us like, they would figure out that we, you know, had started dating. We were super young and basically grew up together. And they're like, so how did you meet? I'm like, that part's simple. Like we met in church. Like there, there's nothing like, there's no magic story to that. And when you're that young, there is no story. Like you, you just meet each other. Like, but I was like, the, the interesting story to me is meeting her family for the first time. So I go to pick her up for our first date and I had met her mom, but I never met her dad and did just didn't really know anything about them. So I go to the house to pick her up and her dad answers the door and I'm, you know, as a 16 year old kid, I'm very intimidated because he was like, he was like the man's man, like, you know, mm-hmm. just, a, and just loud and big personality and, you know, very outspoken. And anyway, so he answers the door and so I meet him and everything. And then her mom comes walking around the corner and, you know, I say hi to her mom. And then all of a sudden, and I had no clue about any of this, all of a sudden stepmom comes into the room and I'm like, Oh, Okay. And again, like no thing really at the end of the day, I'm like, but then I actually, my internal response was, this isn't prom. Like I'm just taking her out on a date. (laughs) We didn't need to all show up to, you know, take pictures or whatever. And then stepdad appears and, you know, and all this, but then what I realized is they all live there. So yes. So the how the way the house was kind of like a duplex, but they all shared okay. like common area, but they had like separate kind of living quarters or whatever. And it was, I mean, the first initial response to that was, okay, that's kind of weird. But then like after being there and like we went to dinner, we came back over and hung out at the house and like I was around her family and I was like, this is extremely like normal, you know, but right about the time I met her, her dad was getting divorced and like there was, there, there were these little things that I never quite figured out until maybe a year or two into dating her that her parents divorced when she was four because her dad came out. And oh. so it's a very similar story to her you know, for her uh, right. of our journey. But now of course her dad, like the period of time, you know, he would marry someone out of convenience because the idea of being out was just not an option. Not back then. Not at all. So, you know, he could, he could have, but where he, chose to live and you know be it just didn't you know it didn't work and over time that changed but I think he was more one of those I think he fit more into the fluid category because like I before he passed away about 10 years ago I actually performed his his last wedding to his last wife who was one of his best friends from high school and I think that was just a, a choice at that time like who are we going to just have companionship with the rest of us right. so interestingly enough when it when I kind of made the step in my journey to say okay I'm going to get brave enough we're going to do the right thing here I'm going to I'm going to go pursue being the healthy happy version of me and I'm going to give her the freedom to have what there's no way she's going to have in a relationship with me and 
I, I think in my mind, there was so much assumption that there was a deep level of understanding because it was so personal to her uh, right. watching her father and the yeah. ups and downs of like, he never quite had the freedom to just be himself. But it also came with that PTSD because like there's that stage of she grew up in a time where having a gay dad was just like, no, like you just did. That was taboo. Right. That wasn't okay. So there was always this tension of like, what if somebody finds out? What if they know? What are they going to think? Am I going to oh, allow? That's a lot be of stress for a little friends? girl. And then there was just a struggle of when somebody's living in, like that, like he was a good man and a great father. But then when you're going through those manic ups and downs of trying to figure things out, like it definitely played out and everybody pays a price for it. So there's just those, those things that like I didn't understand as deeply to okay. and took for granted certain things. So it was really interesting in my story, like – Allison never one minute had any, like, there's a problem with it. Like she's, she is a very deeply committed Christian religious faith-based person and never had to struggle through, is this okay? Like, because I think she'd already answered that question for herself right. because of her father. Right. So like, it was good for me in the sense that I always knew that like for the kids sake, like she would, there would never be a tension of like, we agree or disagree on some like core value things. But for her, she really, it took her a lot longer for us to have the sit down conversation with the kids about what, you know, where we were headed and what was going on. So, and I'll give her a lot of credit, a lot of mom wisdom and just life wisdom (laughs) was, hey, when we go, as we go through this divorce, like we're not having the conversation about orientation until much later. Like, let's go through the divorce. Let's let the kids heal through the things that are hard in a divorce and then we'll talk about that because we don't want the negative of one or the other to influence the opposite, right? right? So like little kid, yeah. divorce is hard enough. Don't confuse the hardness of divorce with identity and orientation and those things that don't deserve those emotions. So like, and I don't, I don't know if somebody taught her that. I don't know if she read that. I don't know where it came from, but I give her a hundred percent lady <laughs> because I was also at that, like, I'm so ready to just be, like, I'm like, we just tell everybody everything because I've spent my whole life telling everybody what they want to hear. So screw this. I'm going to tell everybody the truth. Right. And so we really I mean, and really, we I mean, we spent almost two years in that transition. You know, we cohabitated, shared a house together for a while. And then I moved out and and the kids rock stars like like, yes, there have been little things. But like there's times I, I, I've stepped back, like I've talked to my therapist. I've, you know, we've talked to our family counselor in the process, like what am I missing? They're supposed to be like big issues. They're <laughs> supposed to be problems. Like, you know, or is this the kind of thing in 10 years we're going to wake up and the kids are going to hate us all. And, you know, and I, it, it's just not there. And I think we just did it really carefully and slowly. And I think that's one of the big wins for us in our story is yeah. not ripping the bandaid off, but really having the patience to say like, we love each other and we love our kids well enough that there's no rush. Like, we've had a good life. So it's not like we were miserable. We were trapped in this horrible. Thank God. Yeah. Like, so, you know, we took our time to dismantle. So it really wasn't until Cameron was in the picture that we got to the point where like it was inevitable to have a conversation because when he first showed up, it was just my friend, which at the time was fine because we were still making sure hundred percent for he and I, like, this is really like, we're going to commit to this together. And, but you know, he moved in. So like the kids are, the kids are over on the weekends and not like, I told Allison a few weeks in, I'm like, they, they like, they are not stupid. Like they share <laughs> they're a not room. so little like, anymore. 
Yeah, usually two guys don't share a room. You know, like that's just not this isn't college, you know, this isn't a dorm. This isn't, you know, <laughs> right. you know, we sat down and it was just crazy with my kids, like having that conversation. Like my boys is never it. They don't care. You know, like they and we raised our kids that way, too, because that, that like we just didn't have any even as a pastor. Like I was the first pastor in Texas mm-hmm. to start a church that was open and affirming. So, but I was way ahead of the curve. So I got crucified for doing it. But like, so for my kids, like we let people detox meth in our house. Like my kids have been exposed to stuff that most kids would never be exposed to. So the idea of something out of outside the norm for them just doesn't shake them. They're like, oh, great. Mom and dad have done something else, you know? (laughs) So the boys, like there was nothing. I just, it was really interesting is my youngest daughter, she was, she had just turned eight and So we sit down and we're having age appropriate conversations, obviously, with the kids. And so, so like we sit down and Allison starts the conversation with the girls. Um, and actually, I have to back up to say, because I give Cameron a lot of credit. And I'll, I'll even tell you a, a story with Allison and Cameron. That's just really cool. But he finally called Allison one day. He's like, listen, like, I know you're struggling through, like, your own worries about what you grew up with and all these things. But, like, I can't be the friend like we can't lie to the kids you know this is not healthy and so that evening is when we kind of decided it's time we'll sit down and anyway so we sit down with the girls and like allison starts the conversation and says hey do you do you girls know what it means to be gay and my youngest daughter just slams her hand on the table she goes i knew it and i was like and allison goes what do you mean she goes dad's gonna marry cameron right please tell me he's gonna marry cameron Like, and it was just one of those, like, it was so intrinsically exposed. Like, and, and what's, to me, what's really interesting about that, out of honoring Allison's wishes to take it slow and careful, Cameron and I had a six foot radius rule when the kids were around. So there was no physical no interaction touching. of any kind mm-hmm. when the kids were there. And, and we, you know, and we just, that's how it was. Like, we just right. all got along, shared a space. And, you know, I mean, granted, again, we go to bed at night, Cameron and I go into our room, shut the door. You know, I mean, it's just, so there's certain things, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Just the kids never missed a beat. And I think part of that foundation was built when Allison and I made the decision to separate our lives and go through the divorce. One of the agreements that we had with one another was when that person comes along, that we feel is the right person. Each other has to give that stamp of approval because nobody knows each of us better than we know each other other. because nobody else has spent as much life with us. And so, you know, I've got 23 years with her. And so we, and we grew up together. So it's a lot more than just spending 20 something years as a couple. No, it's your life. She's family, no matter what the the life pieces. And so the day that Cameron came here to, to make the transition, I picked him up from the airport and we drove straight to dinner with Allison. And that, you know, I mean, granted, she had done what every, every woman's going to do. She'd stalked him on social and, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, she and I had had dinner a couple of times, sit down to talk through everything. And, you know, she, she had already given a lot of her opinion and just what she had seen and, you know, kind of figured out about him. And, you know, we've always just had open conversations about it, but, um, but we went to dinner and yeah, it was an emotional, hard moment. Um, and yet incredibly beautiful because, you know, I was able to, to leave that dinner. And as I'm walking out, you know, Allison just turns around and hugs me and she goes, thank you for finding a good one. Oh, like, and it was that like, okay, there's amazing. your approval. Yeah. Oh my like, God. I love her. She's, oh, she's, she's an amazing woman. I, yeah. I'm like crying. She's yeah. No, I mean, woman. I still, it just gets me every time. Cause I don't, I don't deserve that. 
And it, you know, I made my mistakes along the way because, you know, again, I can, I can sound all virtuous and wonderful and everything, but you do when you spend so much of your life and so much energy trying to maintain something that isn't true. You know, I went through a major, major crisis, and I know, like, you know, a lot of the content you put out is with entrepreneurs, and of course, that's a big piece of my journey. Is that even though I was a pastor, I always owned businesses on the side. So when we had our church in Texas, I ran jewelry stores and it funded the church because I built this church for people who don't go to church, like jacked right. up, screwed up people, right? So drug addicts, homeless people, you know, college kids, immigrants, the whole mm -hmm. not like people just don't. So like on a Sunday when you're supposed to take up your offering here, I've got, you know, hundreds of people showing up. The biggest, the biggest offering I ever took up in the church was 36 bucks. So like, <laughs> you can't operate an organization when you take no, you need to have some a week. So I started funding. These, yeah. So I started these jewelry stores to to fund everything because I had worked in the jewelry business and it just worked for me. So um, I ran a small chain of jewelry stores in Texas and and it was great. I mean, we used to joke all the time at the jewelry store because most of the time was, church members would come in and want to sit down and just like talk, get counseling or whatever. Okay, right. So I, you know, I was always like juxtaposition between selling an engagement ring or, you know, something <laughs> like that and then sitting down and helping somebody with some existential crisis in life. But um so I had I gone through a couple of partners. Like I bought stores and sold stores and, and built all this and um, <clears throat> and made a bad – well, I didn't make a bad decision. I, I chose a business partner in in the second-to-last store that I purchased, in, um, and we did really well. We sold the company. And in the jewelry business, a lot of people don't realize because you have to go through a lot of fiduciary checks because you're moving monetary goods. So we had to have forensic bookkeeping when I sold – the previous store and everything was clean, clear, good and everything. So we open up the store and she and I just put our money into it. We opened the store. She was my bookkeeper. She was my, you know, oh, no. accountant in the sense that right. I'm not that part. I, I can do it, but I mean, I'm like ADHD enough. Like if you hand me QuickBooks, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I love spreadsheets. Too. I love Next. spreadsheets because I love stats and data, but I don't want to build it. You know, I want to, I want to analyze it, but I mean, I had no reason not to trust her and, you know, six months in, the contractor who built out my store showed up and was asking for his final payment. I'm like, I paid you. Like, you know, and, and I put in almost $2 million into this venture and uh, into the operations of it. Anyway, because he showed up, she was on she was on a vacation. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'll get the money. And I go to the bank and there's nothing. And, you know, anyway, you know, it turns out she bought herself a nice car and a oh boat and a vacation and all this stuff. So anyway, I, and I found this all out the day that my youngest son was born, which, you did. which was also the day, the day before my birthday, like I'm going through, and this was a domino effect. So what happened is there was no way for me to continue to operate this church. Like I had a $10,000 a month lease on a location. You know, I had just the cost of operating a nonprofit in, you know, in general that's doing things. Plus we're doing like rehab stuff. We're doing all kinds of like very expensive things for the community that we were leading. The jewelry store is going down. I've got the lease on that. Like, and I just literally, I had, I had no choice. Like it was, I have to shut it down and we have to start over because there's nothing I can do. And I'm, and I'm smart enough to know because I've been through enough ups and downs that, you know, I press charges. And I could have filed lawsuits and all this stuff. But the truth is, I had no money. Right. I mean, I was dead broke. Wow. After like, all that work. 
and all that good and, work you were doing for all the people in the in the congregation. Well, and that was the crazy thing is the year prior was like the greatest year ever. I mean, I had more money than I knew what to do with, you know, I, so instead of being hired by Disney to go do cruises, I spent $25,000 and <laughs> took my family on the most amazing vacation, you know, cause I could, right. you know, it was things that I didn't think I would ever get to do in life. Right. And so we just, we were at the top, but what for me, I look back though. So the most important lesson was mm -hmm. nobody, you can't shirk your responsibility. Like if I had actually been doing my job as an owner, I would have seen it coming. I would have known. And the truth is like, she desperately needed the money at the time for some things. But what happened is just like anybody who makes that mistake, the snowball was once it started, it didn't stop. Yeah. Like if she'd have come to me and said, I need a hundred grand, I would have handed her a hundred grand and then been done. Like I would have never asked for it back. Right. Like I'm, I'm the give the shirt off your back kind of person, yes. but I, I got so comfortable in my success that I quit doing the work. Right. So like as much as she made, she made the choice to take the money. I made the mistake not to lead my business. So I take full responsibility in the whole thing. So, but I knew well enough that no matter what I did, I'll never see that money again because she didn't have it. I mean, it's not like, you know, what are they going to do? Give me a $30 a week restitution <laughs> judgment? No, you got to move on. I think it's, you know, so at that moment was the breaking point for me. Cause I think I kind of had this thing like, okay, my, my, my core values of faith had said, you live the right way, the way you're quote supposed to, everything will be good. And I'm like, I've been doing that. And there's just been these cycles of struggle, but this was like the epic, like this crushed everything. And <clears throat> anyway, that, so like that had happened. And then I'm, I'm, I had to move to Haiti for like two months to get Karis home because of the, the mess from the adoption. And I think by the time it was all said and done, I came home from that. I got this job where I was traveling and I just kind of said, the gloves are off. I'm done. I, I'm done trying. I'm done pretending. I'm done trying to keep it all together. And, you know, I spent um, almost two years just sleeping around, doing what I wanted to do, cheating. I'm just not a good person. Like you're in pain, so much like, pain at that point, probably like, seems like. Yeah. And I don't like, I don't want to blame it on that because I mean, it, no, it is not an excuse, not an excuse, like no excuse in that. And that's the thing, like, but get like, this is, and I, I can't say this enough because it's, again, it speaks to the character of my ex-wife. Like when it all finally came out and it was not this, like, I got caught in some weird thing. Like there was just enough telltale things that when she finally came to me and asked the damn broke. And I'm like, yep, this is what's going on, you know? And, you know, she knew, I mean, she knew early on, like that this was a possibility, but like, I was so good at like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, you know, this is great. Like we both, I believed it. I mean, I was deluding myself for a long time. Like I can totally be a happy person. And, but you know, within like 24 hours of all you know, the initial surge of the emotion and realizing like your whole life is, looks like a facade and it's right. crap. And, you know, you just feel like your whole world's crumbling. I remember <clears throat> I was laying in bed and Allison came in the room and I think this was just one of those like really humbling moments for me that I look back and she came in and, you know, I mean, granted, we hadn't wanted to even be in the same room together for 24 hours. I think she was ready to kill me. Yeah. And, and yet needed me and I needed her because who was, who were we going to lean into? You know, who do you trust? And, 
I just remember she came in and she, she sat down on the side of the bed and she put her hand on me. She goes, I'm, I hurt for you because I can't fathom what you're feeling and whatever you need, I'll be here. And I just remember like, you know, and this is an interesting thing. And I think we all go through this whatever way that looks in our lives or whatever the journey looks like. So we're, wherever we face our crisis or, you know, we have to get in front of the mirror for the first time and get honest about things. Um, I didn't know what to do with that because I had never actually been honest and I never like allowed reality to just be um, because I had always done that. And it's what's so crazy about that is, is that I had the opportunity at that point to kind of do all the right things and do them really well. And I didn't, I, I spent a few more months like right. still messing around and like really, you know, horrible stuff. I mean, it just, again, I just can't like, I, you know, I have to point to that truth of like, but here's the thing on the other side of that, I think I had that wake up moment of like, you got to get the, you got to get this. Cause this is, you're at a, you're at a pivotal moment. So you're, you're at the landslide, right? Like, mm -hmm. so you're going to choose the kind of person that you're going to be. And this isn't just about your identity. And this isn't just about your relationship and your marriage and your family. This is about all of life. Like if you justify at the very core of who you are, not doing the right things, you will justify not doing the right things in every area of your life because everything gets hard and everything is difficult and everything has its ups and downs. And if you give yourself the justification where it matters the most to make the wrong decision, mm -hmm. you will do it everywhere and it will follow you for the rest of your life. Amazing. What I'm hearing is like, you're, I know it's out, what you did was horrible. You, that's the way you feel about it, but you didn't give yourself that grace time to be messy or did you? No, I, I no, I didn't. Then um, I did after the fact, like, okay. and, and I would say it probably took me six months to a year because again, I've got, you know, 30 something years of being programmed not to be messy. Like you right. don't get to be messy. There's no freedom to be messy. Like, no, and it's not, not it's not just religion and church. It was Southern, it's Southern culture too. Like there's a Southern culture thing that like, okay. you can be messy. Like I, so I have an aunt who has been a prostitute and drug addict. She's 60 years old. She, the only reason she's not still a complete total mess is that her health is so bad. She cannot function in that total mess. Right. Like, and growing up, like she was always at family events. And again, I think this is part of like me never being afraid of scary moments mm -hmm. is that my parents were always really good about like, we love, we love your aunt. We just completely disagree with her decisions and we choose certain boundaries around that right. relationship. So they didn't keep us from her, but they didn't, we didn't interact with her. You know, it was, right. was kind of like, she was always at the holidays and, and granted, she was always great at holidays because she makes Ozzy Osbourne look like the most sane. <laughs> she was a show sober, to watch at Christmas. Like, oh, she is. I, as a matter of fact, I it's still one of my favorite stories. The first year that Allison, my ex-wife, went to Christmas with the family. I think we've been dating like two years. So she goes to my grandma's house for Christmas and my aunt's there. And you know, I've debriefed her. Like, right. She's going to be there. I, I doubt she'll be sober. I don't even know who she's going to bring with her. Oh but I promise you, you will not be disappointed. This will be the most entertaining thing you've ever seen in your life. And so anyway, she goes to open a Christmas gift, right? And, and it's underwear. Like nothing crazy. And she looks at my grandmother. She's like, Mom, 
oh my god this is amazing i haven't been able to change my underwear in like two weeks and i just remember saying oh my <laughs> god <laughs> like the, uh, just the craziness uh, and yeah. I, but the interesting thing with that is that my family always did a really good job of, of glossing that over, over it right of always like she wasn't the mess that she really was and acknowledging the mess know, is too much for maybe for your grandma to hand was for your grandma to handle or your right. parents to handle it's like i grew up yeah, like that a little bit too like, like everything's okay and you can get through everything right. and that when something happens you just keep moving forward you just keep moving through it right um and i had unfortunately my father-in-law was taking out the garbage two years ago and was hit by a truck and passed away wow. and i wow. for unfortunately for me for, i got to be there when he was laying on the sidewalk dying wow um, and I tried to just move through it for a year until right. I was like, okay, I surrendered. I was like, I can't, go, I just can't move through it anymore. And I started talking about it. And that's when I gave myself the great, and I did, I was self-medicating a lot. You know, I was definitely mm -hmm. having drinks during the day when the kids were at school. I wasn't yeah. sleeping. I was, you know, I was doing things. I wasn't having sex with anybody else, but you know, I don't know how far I would have gotten if I hadn't said to my husband, like, I'm in trouble guys. Like I need help now. I think the interesting thing for me is I, I know that I have a somewhat addictive personality. Like there's no, no question. Like that's my, I got to get up and go to the gym in the mornings. Like I go seven days a week. There is no day off. You look good, baby. <laughs> and so, you know, it is, it is just who I am, but I found healthy outlets for that. But I think in that season, my unhealthy outlet was, I'm just going to go out there and sleep with whomever and have these experiences and, and so I think but you also didn't get that, to have like, those experiences when you were in your teens or twenties. Well, and I think that's, you know, an interesting thing about people who have a, a similar journey of finally, you know, coming out later in life, there's this thing they call re-adolescence, right. Of just kind of going back through because, and, and again, sometimes I think it's used as a justification. Like it's a very real thing. Like it is a very psychologically, emotionally real thing because you know, my dating life was prescribed and I didn't date. I never dated anybody else. Like I went to school dances with a bunch of girls that were always, always my friends, like, right. cause they didn't have dates and I was always available. So like I went to a million proms and homecomings and all these things. And then, you know, and then when I met Allison, like that was it. I never dated anybody else. Like, and Allison never dated anybody else either. So for us, it was very insul insulated and, and, and safe and like, um, but for me, it was like it was there was there was no option, so I didn't get to explore what relationships might be like, what sexuality is like, what you're just interacting and right. the chemistry of life, and you know, and and I still it's interestingly enough, I mean, given given my story, like that season of my life was not dating. That season of my life was just trying everything. Right. And then when I got out of that season and got to a healthy place, it's interesting. That's exactly when I met Cameron. And like we we connected and started talking. The first night we talked, we texted back and forth for seven hours. Like, and it was it was very clear, like this is a guy that I'm gonna connect with. I can tell. Right. We went our first date, we went to a Starbucks and had coffee or had tea together. <laughs> and I mean I walked out of Starbucks that night, I was like, crap, I'm screwed. Like this is for sure. The real guy. Because that <laughs> for me, that was the final step in my journey too, of like this is gonna be real to everybody else. And I think part of that, like, again, to kind of reiterate, like, that not giving yourself a place to be messy is because if I gave myself a place to be messy, it meant other people had to go there, too. So, like, that meant my parents. Because, again, I'm a, I am wasn't just a pastor myself. I'm a preacher's kid, and I'm a preacher's grandkid. And, like, you know, my grandparents were – my grandfather was 
responsible for most of the books and the literature that's out in the Southern Baptist world because he published most of it and was the head of publishing for Lifeway. So like, wow, he was a huge influence. So the people that I grew up around were those authors and those pastors. And like, that was the circle. And my grandmother wrote music with the Gaithers and like, I mean, I just grew up in like the Royal church circle. So there was this thing, like if I go to messy, it's going to trickle down and it means that they're going to have to go with me. No, they don't get a choice. No. And that I think I finally get the place like that I'm going to die. Like literally like I'm killing myself not doing this and it's going to be really slow and painful. And I'm going to take my kids with me and I'm going to take everybody with me because again, I had that vision. Like everything's going to, there was that self-medicating thing like that, that, what was me? And I'm not a depressed person. Like depression for me is not that I stay in bed and I'm emotional wreck. Like depression for me is the OCD kicks in and I go too far to push myself away from the issue. And that's where I lived. I I wasn't functioning healthy and I was literally physically destroying myself, trying to overachieve and trying. And I finally was like, I have to pause and be okay with that. And it did. It took me a while to get there. And you know, and, and so there, there are these moments like we that are messy in the journey. Like I remember when Allison and I were still going through those death throes of like, is this going to really be our story? Are we really ready for this? Like, what does that mean? Because she didn't want that story. You know, she would yeah. change it tomorrow if she could. Of course. Um, to some extent, although I think now that she's experienced relationships that are much more healthy for her. Right. You know, she's, she's, like, oh, in a, she's a very good, like. she's a very good place, right? right? Like she would of course rewrite the story that I didn't end this way, but I remember the hardest and yet the most beautiful conversation I ever had. We we were on the phone. I I'd been I don't know I'd been somewhere. I was traveling. I was coming home, and I think she just asked a question like, "Are you really sure?" And I said, "Look, I, the only thing I know to say to you is I do love you. Like that's not a question. Like you're my best friend. You know, man, this gets me every time. You're the mother of my kids. Like." There's nobody I could care about more. But the truth is I don't want my life with you. And that's like this horrible thing. And I think at the, at the, the core of it, because nobody wants to say that to somebody. Like, I don't care who you are and how hard you may be. Like, you know that destroys somebody when you say it. And yet I knew if I didn't get that honest and that clear, then I, I wouldn't be free. And it didn't set her free. So as interesting as that day, I went to bed that night for the first time in 30-something years and slept all night. I'd never done that before. Because at night when the lights are out, like, I'm, everything's playing through my head. Like, what if people find out? What if they know? What if so living this? with it, that it, is And if much. I do this, like, are my parents going to stick around? Am I going to have my siblings? Am I, what are my grandparents going to think? Like, because I'm a super tight-knit. Like, literally from where I'm sitting right here within a 10-mile radius, everybody in my family lives. Like, we're tight and we do life together. And... You know, and so there's those, those, you know, I talk about it a lot. They're violent reckonings when we do get to that place where we're finally just honest, right? And, you know, and that's where growth happens. And it's it's where we get refined and, and, and you know, pressed into whatever we're going to become. And, you know, when it, when I finally put it out there, like, like I remember one day my dad had a great relationship with my parents, you know. And they were super young when I was born. They were in their very my, – my mom was 21. My, my dad was 22. So, like – we're friends now <laughs> because we're not that far different in yeah. age. I'm, you know, yeah, um, my parents too. My mom's 20. I think she was 24 when she had me. My sister. Yeah, so yeah. like 
Yeah, it was so funny is that when when my when my uh, oldest son was born, I actually had a child for the first time. Right. You know, I was like 24, 25, and I remember thinking like, oh my god, I've waited too long. Like this is because <laughs> everybody in my family, like my grandmother was 18 when my mom was born. So like, you know, it was just that. Right. that anyway, so but I remember my dad called me and took me took me to lunch, and I've got a, a brother who struggles with alcohol really bad, and and he literally sits me down at lunch and he's like, listen, you know that your mom and I disagree with this you know, this whole sexuality thing. I was like, yeah. And it, like, that's fine with me. I don't need you to agree. I just need you to be mom and dad and love me. It's totally fine. I know we're not going to agree. Um, but he said, look, we don't let your brother bring his alcohol to the house, to family functions, because that's his vice. So you're not going to be bringing a boyfriend to the house. It, it hit me. It's like so sideways. Yeah. Uh, like we're sitting at having Mexican for lunch and right. like, and I just kind of blew through it. And I remember walking back to my car and it hit me. My dad just told me, me, the way I know I am right. can't be okay. in the house that I grew up in, right. like in this like shattering moment. And yet the, I think the coolest thing is that was because they knew Cameron was moving and they knew he was coming. So they were having to face real right now. It's real for time. them. Yeah. It's not a phase. It's right. not like, cause I remember like after, after my affairs were out and there was this period of time where Allison, I really did try to like, Hey, maybe we can fix this. Maybe we can get through this. You know, maybe there's still a chance. And so, and, and so we kind of were pushing through all of that. So there was always this kind of like this phase thing. So by the time Allison and I figured out, I, I say all this cause it matters. Like by the time Allison and I figured this out and I think there's a lot of, I learned a lot of wisdom in this because I lived in a glass house my entire life. Like every detail was always out there and family's close. So you tend to just like, you know, right. who you're going to talk yeah, to. Right. And we realized like for us to do things right and healthy, there are periods of time in life where any of us need to close the blinds, shut the door, deal with things and then share it mm -hmm. because we can't have 90 opinions and we can't have everybody's projected outcome thrown at us. And that's what Allison and I did. We moved through the process of making the decision taking the steps for divorce before we told everybody. Right. So they were already dealing with this. Cause I remember like we told my parents the next day, my mom calls me and she's like, I was up crying all night. Cause Alice and I went over to their house one night to talk to him about it. And by the time we left, like we're joking and laughing and having a good time. Like, right. cause we've already moved through those emotions. Right. So my, my mom says to me that day on the phone, she goes, you know, but your dad reminded me like, see when they left, they were just fine. They're such good friends. This is all just a phase. They're going to be fine. Yeah. And I remember thinking on the phone, like, Oh crap. No. <laughs> You're really no. going to be let down now. And so th there's just all these reckonings that had to happen. But what's the beauty, I think the beautiful thing is my parents taught me what I, what I teach my kids. And that is we choose love above everything else. And it may be hard. It may be messy and it may not look like what we want, but we're not in control. And so we have to choose love in the process and so that conversation I had with my dad and I remember like I called Cameron and I'm like, Oof. I don't know, maybe it's a mistake for you to even come here not because you shouldn't be here. Like you shouldn't be subjected to this. Like, you know, and Cameron had already gone through his thing because even though he's been out since his early twenties and, and interestingly, he's a preacher's kid like I am. And okay. he's one of four siblings. There's three boys and a girl and all three boys are gay and out. So is, his family's had to really deal with this reckoning. So, but the yeah. interesting thing is nobody brought somebody home until me. So when that kind of happened, he, he had a very similar experience with his parents, but he kind of moved through it. Right. So like he was on the other side of his, and I'm just going through the throes of mine. And I'm like, I don't know, like maybe we're throwing each other to the lions here. You know, I don't know how this, 
anyway, he, he gets to town a, a couple of days after that, and we kind of muddle two things. And my mom calls me one day, and she goes, hey, Dad and I want to have you guys over for dinner. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> you just told me <laughs> this I, wasn't going to happen. And like, I know. And I said to Cameron, I was like, are you up for this? He goes, oh, I got to try. Like, I don't, he's like, after what your dad did, I, of course I don't want to, but like, I got to try. Well, I mean, like ever since then, it's like no issue. My parents have treated him like he's always been there. And, and I think one of the coolest things is my grandparents, my grandparents, I was just sure like they are the Southern Baptist right. most, you know, faith driven, you know, people, they never even said a word. Like, my grandmother calls him to check on him. <laughs> like, don't call him. She's like, honey, I'm praying for you. What do you oh, need? You know. They just, they love, just you. love you. They just love you. They just, they, and that was above everything else. Like, I teach my kids something similar. We have, like you, my family, my in-laws live there. My parents live there. My brother's there. Yeah. Yeah. We have a couple of siblings. Yeah. And I always say, you have to like people for who they are, but you have to love them for who they are not. And that's how you keep them in your lives. And that, and coming from a place of love, because above all their faith and above everything else, you were more important and your relationship was more important. And Cameron, obviously, yeah. is, you know, God sent him to you for a reason to have that kind of love in oh, your life. No question. There's no question. And I mean, that's just the, you know, it, it is this interesting thing that when we get to a place where we are, we can stand in front of the mirror for ourselves and get honest, like this is me. And I'm working on this that. This is who I am. <laughs> like, and it, we all are. I still do it every day. Like, I mean, I, I talk about it even right now with all this like crazy momentum that I've got going and telling my story and, you know, sharing this, this journey. And of course my voice has a lot of weight still around, you know, the religious world mm -hmm. and faith-based organizations, but of course it's met with a lot of opposition. Yeah. So like, as I more appropriately and boldly step into those conversations, it's interesting because I find myself from the mirror going like, Oh, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, don't stir the pot. Don't, you know, and, and I play back and forth all the time. Like my mom even said to me, because she knows that, you know, I, I just stepped to the front. Like, that's just, they raised me and that's my mom and dad. That's my siblings. Like there's nobody in my family who just naturally just take over. And so like my mom's first, one of her very first comments when she was finally just owning this whole thing, she goes, Whatever you do, please don't become the poster child for the LGBT community. That was her biggest and fear. And I was like, so, but see, but my love and my honor for my mom has set one of those barriers in place for me that I still have to fight with every day because every time I take that step and, and do it, like, you know, I've shared in just brief things, like I've learned, you also filter things, like, right? You don't put all your stuff out there for everybody and people. It's funny because I do share a lot of life in social media yeah. and all this people think that I have just like bared my soul and I'm like, God, if you only knew, like, I don't like, I tell the fun stuff and I tell the hard stuff. I give both sides of it. But like, if I ever bared my soul, you people would like die. Like you can't, nobody really wants to handle somebody else's truth. So even in the, in all this momentum, like I made a real simple post about, you know, prepping content for this thing that I'm going to do with good morning mm -hmm. America. And I immediately, within like five minutes, I get a text from my mom. What are you doing? With oh. Good morning, America. And so I, you know, I was telling her, she's like, just be careful. Not everybody needs to know your story. And she means it to somewhat protective. Like, yeah, again, like I, and I'm very aware of the protection side of mm -hmm. it too. Like my, this isn't just my story. It's my ex-wife's story. It's my kid's story. It's Cameron's story. It's my family's story. So I have to be very careful with bits and pieces of this thing, not to, overstep the boundaries of what 
is mine and what is also someone else's. Um, you get the, the expectation of keep it simple. Like, you know, because there's still those moments where I'll share something or I'll put it up and I get that text like, hey, did, you know, did you have to put that up? Because I got a text of why you're sharing pictures of you and your husband or your boyfriend, you right. know, whatever. Or, you know, I don't know that you should share family photos because people just really don't know what to do with that. Or, you know, and I realize like that's their problem. It's not mine. Yes, 100%. Like, I don't have to hide anymore and I don't have to be that person. And yet there are those fine lines too of making sure you do everything with wisdom. So it's funny that no matter how far we get in that journey, like we have to step into the mirror and learn to get really comfortable with what we see mm -hmm. and what we feel and what we experience. But I think we get there. It puts us in a place to being really ready to have the good that should be in our lives and be able to see it. Cause I think the other thing that most people miss out on in their journey is that the good's actually already there. But we're so focused on trying to overcome what we're not comfortable with or what we're not willing to accept about ourselves that we're blinded to see that it's all like the goods there, like the acceptance and the love that I was so scared I would never have. It's the same people that have been in my life. It's not new people. It's not a bunch of new relationships and sure there there are new relationships but like the core that i'm gonna lean into on the hardest days of my life are the same people i've always leaned into but i didn't believe that was true because i wasn't letting myself be true so i never got to test that so i set expectations and anticipations and ideas on someone else the same as i felt they had done on me and we both limited each other being our best so, you know, the interesting thing is even though, like, my mom, she disagrees completely with my right. choice, but she loves Cameron, and she treats him as if he's one of the kids, and <laughs> so she will tell me constantly, she goes, I can tell that you are a much healthier, happier person. And, you know, even in, and, and you can appreciate this because you've got, you know, the religious background of your family. My mom would say like, oh, I believe totally if you pray and you really mean it, that God's going to do certain things. She goes, but I had to stop praying for God to fix you. And I was oh like, why? Gosh. She goes, because if God fixes you, then we lose Cameron. And I don't want that. Wow. So there's these That's like, like I never, yeah. ever, ever believed those things would be possible. And what I'm learning is that they were always possible. I just didn't believe in nice. me being okay and being willing to say, this is just who I am. You know? Ooh, Michael, that, thank you so much for sharing all that, that I, I think I've cried three times. I want to give your mom a hug and Allison <laughs> and I want to hang out with her and Cameron and everybody else and the kids. Thank you so much for being so open and honest. And I think you're so right about the last thing that you just said. I think being an entrepreneur, a lot of it is really putting yourself out there and putting your whole story out there. Um, and when I was going through my journey, and I still am, to be honest, I haven't really shared. I'm sharing little pieces on the yeah. podcast of what actually went on, but sharing who I actually am and who and what was really going on, it's, I didn't. I would have so many people be like, oh, your business is doing so well. And it was like, that's autopilot. I just stopped showing up. And now that I'm back to showing up, yeah. it is. I have that in my head now. I have my mom in my head like, oh, because I've made yeah. her cry doing this stuff. You know, she's watched stuff and not yeah. understood it. And I think that I'm often worried about what they're going to think. Even my mom listens to this. Yeah. She doesn't know that I was drinking when the kids were at school when all this was going on. Yeah. I don't think she'll think anything of it. She'll be like, okay. Um, but not sharing that stuff and, and knowing that they're still going to be there and still love you. I think that that message that you share and that you're going to share on Good Morning America and, you know, and I can't wait to watch you 
you know, really explode around the world because being the face for LGBTQ or just being the face of love. And it's not about who you love or how you love or what group you're in. It's like, we just need to love everybody. And that's, and that's okay. And that's what I try. You know, my kids are 16 and 18. They're going to school soon and they haven't really gotten to date and they haven't really gotten to explore that thing because for the last eight months, you know, your junior and senior year are like Uh, your years to figure that out. Yeah. And they're not getting to. Exactly so right. I do worry about yeah. that kind of stuff. I was just going to say, I think something that is so true is that, you know, whether it's a personal journey, whether it's, and, and being an entrepreneur is a personal mm-hmm. journey. So, I mean, if you're starting or owning a business, that's as personal as, <laughs> yeah. you know, an identity thing. And it is an identity because oh, yeah. an entrepreneur is not a job. Like it is a lifestyle choice. It is a reality <laughs> of where you're at. And I think part of the thing that we have to get better at, and I've, I've always appreciated this. He's been a good friend of mentors, Richard Branson. And Richard's one of the few that like, I've always told, I've always told him, like, I'm so thankful that you talk about your failures just as much as your success. And, you know, I say this often, like I'm working on some great projects right now that I think are going to be home runs. I fully believe they are, but I've believed every one of them is going to be a home run. You have and, to have faith. you know, three, three and a half years ago, I had one that should have been, a billion dollar home run and it was a major failure and it it really sidetracked my world and my life and my career for I mean I would say in some ways it still shows up you know like there's those just the hanging chat and the shrapnel that stays when you walk through failure and you know and it's created those moments like I still have haters that'll show up and be like oh he just you know he wants to steal your money because they lost money from investing in a venture, right? And like, I hate that, like, it's horrible. Like, I didn't intend that for anybody. And as soon as I'm capable, I want to write checks to all those people and just give them their money back, even though I don't have to. Like, I have no obligation in that other than from here, that it matters to me. But the thing is, like, as a, as a entrepreneur, at whatever level that is, whether it's coaching, whether it's, you know, e-commerce, whether it is starting a tech company, which is what the kind of stuff that I like to do, like whatever it is, you're going to screw it up and you're going to fail. And, you know, we, we see these quotes, like the master's failed far more times than the novice has ever even tried. Yeah. Right. And we see those and we're like, Oh, that's right. cool. But we don't like actually take it to heart. Like, and that's because we've not ever really had honest conversations in the entrepreneur space to say you will fail. And probably along the way, some of those failures would be so epic that you are going to have to make a decision. This is either going to define your life or this is going to be a moment of growth. But you don't get to have you. You've got to choose because if you don't choose, you will never step back up to the plate and keep going to find the success that's really set in here. So like there are those days I get up and I'm reminded of like losing a million dollars of investor money from just bad decisions and like knowing that. I mean, there, there's one guy, like this is real. Like this is the brass tech. There's one guy who emptied out his retirement and put it in there and it's gone. Like now he's not 80 years old and he's, you know, he's able to go to some extent, but I mean like that's a derailment to him. So it's not just the, like, so I go to bed at night during that season of my life thinking I am, I'm a piece of shit. Like I have just destroyed someone's future and for me, I just have to start again. So like those are those things in the entrepreneur journey that like they're messy and they're hard. And, you know, I think had I not walked through my personal journey, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have had the 
the, the tools to look at that and go as much as it's hard and it sucks. And I still have to work through certain pieces and parts of it. Like it's real. So just keep going. Let's be honest right. about it. Like, you know, and I, I'm in two different ventures now. I think they're both going to be successful, but they could both fail. They could. We'll see. They could. I, I, I just taught a class um, and it was called failing up. That's all it's, it just keep putting it out there and keep, and keep trying. I definitely stalled for a long time. And that's the, one of the reasons I found this kind of coaching is doing the business and publicity coaching, which I really, really loved. But as soon as I started doing this, I was like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> yep. I'm supposed to be bringing stories of people that I admire, adore, love, you know, however you show up in my life to an audience so that they can understand, so they can hear these kinds of stories that it's not about, okay, if you do a marketing funnel this way, or you do an email sequence this way, it's not about yeah. that. It's all about here and here and really showing up with all your messiness and yep. all and all your craziness and all your your yep. ideas and sometimes they're going to win and but nine times out of ten they're really going to fail and if you can do that no i mean I, that's my <laughs> my favorite my favorite cliche quote is nine out of ten businesses fail that's why i started ten <laughs> i love that you know, but i think my number is like really skewed in a different direction now they're like 19 out of 20 businesses failed. That's why I started 20. You know, like yeah. I know everybody's journey. I've got one of my closest friends in the world has got that Midas touch. You know, so if you get into the the, the imposter syndrome and comparison and all that kind of stuff, it pisses me off. Now I love this guy. He's been one of my best resources, and he he's been there. He lost money in my failures, like, and he's still my friend. That's one of the things I love about him. But the dude starts a business, and it just like it turns to gold. And I step back, and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do that? But he doesn't know why he's doing it and I think the core thing is he's operating from here and he's not trying to achieve success he's not trying to impress he's not trying to win awards he just sees something that he cares about he loves he's passionate about he's interested in and he goes all in with all all that he's got and is and I, what I love about him the most is I'll call him be like hey how did like how did you do that he's like I don't even know it just worked <laughs> I like, love him. You know, and that's the real that's the real answer. Like that's the true answer, you know? And and uh you know, I know like you know, you've had a a, a lot of interaction and influence from uh JLD. Like I love, yeah, I love him. him. And so my friend Charles that I'm referring to, he he and JLD are really close okay. friends. And and he had Charles on his podcast, I don't know, three, four years ago. It was the same thing. Like I think towards the end of uh, of John's episode, he was like, so Charles, what's the secret? He's like, I don't have a secret. He's like, I got nothing to share. And he's like, well, that was a waste of episode. You know, it's like, no nuggets of wisdom, but like, that's real. Like, you're just going to have your journey. You yeah. know, you look at, at, at the different people along the way have done things. Um, what's her face that started Spanx? You know, I always joke because really for her, it was that whole what you don't know is your best, oh. you know, your best yeah. asset because it's like, there's a way that industry was supposed to run and she just didn't care because she didn't know. So she just did her thing. Like, and it came genuine. And I think, you know, like if we sit back and work too much and this is every aspect of so your personal journey, your entrepreneurial journey, being a parent is probably one of the best places to learn this. Like you can have all the formulas, you can have all the ideas, you can have all the resources in the world, but you're still going to have to take it one step at a time. And you're going to have to follow the instinct that's here. And it doesn't mean you can't get smarter. It doesn't mean you can't get trained to do it better. It doesn't mean that there's not great resources out there. But I can be handed the best roadmap in the world. And if it doesn't operate in line with who I am, it'll never work. Not at all. You have to be all in. And I like something that you had said. And you say this a lot. You just say, release the outcome. And I really like that, especially yeah. in this conversation. It's 
when it's not about making a million dollars, it's not about impacting. It's just about putting out good, putting out your heart and going all yeah. in on that. And then he goes, but Charles just keeps going in. He's all in all the time. And that's yep. why it works. I think that's the secret formula, being all in and yep. being there all the time. I yep. love it. Thank you so much. And listen, Charles did have his, he did have his massive oh, failure yes. during the uh, housing bust in 08. <laughs> he went $400 million in debt. Cool. And he personally worked and paid every dime back. The integrity. Wow. And I think that's part of it is that when you're willing to work and you're willing to walk through the failure and you will take the responsibility for the wins and the losses and your integrity is in line that way, it'll yeah. work. Like, whatever your spirit is, whatever, whoever's you're believing in the universe, yeah. source, God, whoever it is helping you. Yeah. I really feel like that, you know, that energy is helping you along the way and showing you the path you're supposed to take. Cause every fail, I think every failure is for a reason. You lost all that money and had to start over for a reason. Figuring out yeah. what that reason is, is not your job. It's just keep moving through it. Michael, thank you so much for your time. I love talking to you and we will talk again soon, but if you could just give us a little glimpse of what you're working on, cause I know I don't know if you know this, but GMA is one of my, that's my goal for 2021 is to be on GMAs. Oh, come on. You can get there ahead of that. No, I, uh, I you know, I, I will know Friday for sure the details. I'm going to be writing a book as far as the details of the when and where and all that kind of stuff. But I'm excited because it's really a book about aligning your life. You know, it's the, the very personal story. Um, you know, of just becoming genuine to yourself and that, you know, whether that's in your personal life, your entrepreneurial life, whatever that is. So um, Friday, I, I hope to have all the details done and then I have to write a manuscript. That's so, okay. um, so I have that going on, you know, you, you have, you know, you and a number of people have been gracious enough to allow me to ramble and rant and talk and Love it. share part of the story. And I, you know, so I've been able to do that. And then um, in November, um, barring nothing changes, I've been invited to, with Good Morning America. They're going to do a multi-part series. So I don't know how much of this goes on television, how much is this the website, but they want to share my story and Cameron's story and our kids' story of, you know, what it looks like to raise a, a, a modern, non-traditional family in America to talk about the issues of race and equality and, you know, just the journey that, that you know, is, is real life. And so I'm excited about that um, because, again, at the core, the whole thing is I just want to inspire people, you know, to realize when you get to a place of alignment, you can find peace and hope. And, you know, I say it a lot. I hope two things that people will know about me when I'm dead and gone from this earth is I was extremely generous in whatever form that is. I hope it's a lot of money, but you know what? It's okay. It could be my time. It could be my resources. I don't know. Um, and then I hope that they will always remember me as always speaking to hope because I know that where hope exists, hope is the breeding ground of miracles. Oh. So if hope exists, things are possible. Well, on that note, thank you, Michael, so much for being with me today. I will have you on again and again and again. I could listen to you forever. Anytime. Sending you lots of, lot, you and the kids and Cameron and Allison and everybody else in your life, lots and lots of love. I can't wait to share all your posts, you know, sharing that story. I think it's what you're doing is not only healing for you and your family, but I think it's going to be healing for so many more people um, and getting your voice out to the masses, the millions, instead of that your little space on the earth is going to be life-changing.